In this episode today, we're going to talk about saints. No, not those saints. Not those saints either. These saints. Protestants often hear about how praying to the saints is just like asking a friend, a brother or sister in Christ here on earth, to pray for you. We're going to examine that claim a bit, and then we'll look at ways Protestants can relate to the saints in a healthy and God-honoring way. My name is Stephen Cram, and this is My Apologies. An apology doesn't just mean saying that you're sorry. An apology can also mean giving a reason for something that you believe. For example, if I ask you, why do you think that The Office is better than Parks and Rec? I'm asking for an apology. On this channel, we will discuss various apologies for living a life of faith and virtue. And if I say something that offends you, you have my apologies. So today we're looking at how Protestants relate to the saints. And we're going to start out with the question, is praying to the saints just like asking someone at your church to pray for you? Now, this is what Protestants get a lot of times when we question the Catholic and Orthodox practice of prayer to the saints. But is it a good answer? Is that a good way of thinking about it? The argument goes something like this. If a Protestant says, hey, Roman Catholic person, why do you pray to the saints? They might respond with, well, it's just like asking someone in your church for prayer. You can ask them for prayer because you're all part of the same body of Christ and you're all talking to Jesus. The saints who are in heaven, they're still part of the same one body of Christ, and therefore you can ask them to pray on your behalf. And in fact, how much more should you ask them who are in heaven? Because we know that the prayers of a righteous person has great power in its working, which comes from the book of James. So if these saints are in the presence of God, they're clearly righteous people, and therefore their prayers must be very powerful. And we should ask them to intercede for us, if not the same amount, even more so than we ask our brothers and sisters here on earth to pray for us. So that's the justification that's often given for prayer to the saints. And admittedly, this is a great way of thinking about it if you're a Protestant that has no grit at all for prayer to the saints, if you've never encountered that before, or you've never really given it a second thought. I know the first time I heard that argument, it actually gave me a really good grid for what Catholics think, and it enabled me to better empathize and understand their point of view on the saints in heaven. But is it really the same thing, prayer to the saints and prayer with those on here on heaven? Well, let's look at that for a second. Why would it be any different? Well, there are several reasons that I'll just touch on here for a minute. And if you want more thorough explanations of the differences, I'll leave a couple of links to good videos that I think do a good job that do this topic justice. I'll leave that in the description. But a quick overview of a few things that are different between praying to the saints and asking a brother or sister to pray for you is one, the mere fact that the person in your church is in the flesh. They're here on earth. They're flesh, soul, spirit. They are still alive. Whereas those in heaven, the saints, they are just souls. They're waiting for the resurrection. So there's clearly some kind of difference there just to begin with. And that leads to our second difference, which is the method of communication you have to take. So because you're physical and your brother or sister in Christ here on earth, they're physical, you could just talk to them. But the saints, you have to actually pray to them. You have to communicate either in your mind or out loud to them when you can't actually see them. And that's a different method of communication. So that's a difference right there. And then the third difference that I want to touch on just real quick is the language used. When you're asking someone to pray for you, that's one thing. But the tendency when speaking to the saints 
through prayer, asking for their intercession, the devotional language and, and prayer words that are being used are not often what's used when speaking to a living believer. The language kind of tends to get elevated a little bit as you're talking to these people who admittedly are holy, but they end up getting placed kind of on a pedestal, and you can see that in the language that is used. And again, I'm not going to go into all these three. I'll leave some video links in the description for you to check out if you're interested in hearing more about those things. But all that to say, it's not quite the same. There are some tangible differences. And we're going to dive into that a little bit more through a clip that I found. I really enjoy the YouTube channel Pints of Aquinas. And so I watch it quite often. And I came across a video that I think actually now is no longer available to the public. I think you have to be a local subscriber in order to see this video, but the clip is still on YouTube, thankfully, and so we can watch this together. And I was kind of surprised with what I heard because I knew that knowing what we've discussed so far about prayers to the saints and kind of the differences, the distinctions, I always knew that when people made that argument that it's the same as asking someone for prayer, I always felt like there was something missing, something that really wasn't being said. And in this clip, I feel like Matt Frad actually says out loud what the difference is, the thing that's been making me uncomfortable when I hear that argument. So I want to watch that clip and talk about it. I want to be clear before we do, I'm not saying anything bad about these men. I think Matt Frad is incredible. I think his guest is probably a great man of God. Nothing against either of them or their faith. But I do think that using this clip as an example, we can pinpoint some of the issues that Protestants feel when they hear people making that comparison between saints and people on earth, and we can gain some deeper understanding. My goal with this video is just that, to improve understanding. Why is it, in my opinion, that the explanation that prayer to the saints is just like asking for prayer to a living person, why is that not a very good explanation of what's happening in the Catholic view of prayer to the saints? So let's watch that clip real quick, and then we'll discuss it on the other side. <laughs> it is. So let's do it. Um, so this all started when Roe versus Wade was about to be overturned. You and I were talking and you said, how many rosaries do you think have been prayed by you know beautiful, faithful old women throughout the country for the end of abortion? And I said something like, I don't know, thousands. You're like, thousands, millions. You said, yeah. what are we going to do to thank the mother of God? I don't know if you remember this conversation. I do you remember. We have to build the most beautiful shrine that's ever been. I do remember it. And what are we going to do to thank the mother of God? He says, we have to build the most beautiful shrine. And then he gets interrupted. But that's the statement that he said. And that's where I was like, oh, that is exactly, that exactly says out loud the tension that I feel. The issue number one I see with this statement is, why are you thanking Mary? When he says, what do you need to, what are we going to do to thank the mother of God for this awesome thing? The implication be this awesome thing that she has done. She is not the one who has the power to answer your prayer. You might say that you're thanking her for her intercessions. Sure. But that still strikes me as a little bit extreme, right? So if you bring that to our own experience, again, if we're comparing prayer to the saints and to Mary with prayer in our own small group or our church context, if you come before your church with a prayer request and say, I'm in need of a job, for example, your church says, all right, we'll pray for you. The next week, you get to come back with a praise report saying, praise God, he provided for me a job. You wouldn't say, you did this for me. What can I do to thank you? And build them some sort of shrine. That kind of thanks being given to the intercessors seems a little bit out of place and out of proportion. When in fact, of course, we, we know, I'm, I'm sure that these men are saying, we're thanking God. But the language they use, the first way they choose to communicate that is to thank God the intercessor. And Catholics will probably think of this as being a little bit nitpicky, but this is the real tension that Protestants feel. Instead of thanking God for answering their prayers, in this case, to end Roe versus Wade, they're thanking Mary. 
and assuming that that thanks is going to flow through to God. But it's not explicit. That's not how he describes it himself. And then the second part is the building of the shrine. And so I'm not going to get into iconoclasm if whether or not shrines should have any place in the worship of a believer. But this is another example of a difference, because if you ask your friend to pray for you and that prayer gets answered, you don't thank him with building a shrine. Again, it's pretty clear that prayer to the saints stands as its own category. It's not the same as asking a living believer to pray for you. You don't give them thanks instead of God, and you don't build shrines on their behalf. The way prayer to the saints works in this system of Roman Catholicism and the Orthodox Church is so different from the way we interact with each other in the church here on earth. I really suggest that, especially in apologetics types of conversations, that argument that they're the same should be abandoned altogether. The differences are too stark for it to be a fair description of what's actually happening in prayer to the saints. Now, that was the tough part. I don't just want to criticize another view, though. I also want to build up a accurate and fair Protestant way of relating to the saints, something that I think is biblical, that occurred in the early church, and that we can apply to our lives to enrich our own relationship with God today. So we're going to look at three different ways. The first two, I think, are obvious for everyone. The third one is a little bit more contentious in Protestant churches, but I still think, given given some thought, it makes sense, and we can adopt it as well. So, Let's look at number one. Number one is going to be general acknowledgement of the presence of the saints in heaven. This is a super simple one right off the bat, just acknowledging that the saints are present in heaven. And we can get this from scripture, specifically to Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, which says, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So in this passage, you can see the benefit of acknowledging the presence of the saints in heaven. There's this image of you running the race, and there are all these saints in the stands around you who have gone before you, who have maybe run the previous race that just went, and they're now, having finished the race, cheering you on and saying, let's go, you can do it, providing you that encouragement. They're spurring you forward in the faith. It's kind of like a pacer in a marathon. A pacer is someone who runs the marathon with you, who is more experienced and who has run marathons and half marathons before, and they have committed to run a certain time so that you can run along with them and achieve your time goal. So they hold a little flag often and say, basically, follow me. I've done this before. Come alongside me and let's run together. That's the kind of thing you're getting with the saints. These people who have run the race here on earth, who have followed God before, they know how it's done and looking to them as an encouragement can help you in your own walk with God. A personal example for me is after my grandfather died, my grandfather being a Christian, a man of God, someone who I believe would be in heaven right now, I often had the thought that if I was tempted to sin or tempted to not do something good that I should do, and I knew I should do it, convicted by the Spirit, I would have the thought, often I think prompted by the Holy Spirit, that my grandfather is in heaven and that he's looking down on all of us. And so just the thought process of like the saints and my grandfather looking and seeing me in this moment, it added that extra little nudge for me to not sin or to push forward and do that good work in more than one way and through more than one temptation. The acknowledgement of the saints and one specific saint, that acknowledgement helped me avoid sin and instead turn towards virtue and Jesus Christ. So that's number one, general acknowledgement of the saints in heaven, that worldview helping spur you on to acts of faith, acts of repentance, and to avoid sin. Number two is going to be having an ancient friend. Now, this one is a little bit funny sounding, but 
stick with me. I think it's a really, really good one to implement. This one was actually introduced to me by my wife who went to a church called The Village that's in the DFW area. And that's where it was brought up to her. The idea is to get acquainted with a saint who lived at some period in the past in history and learn more about their life and how it can apply to you. Typically, people might pick a saint that they relate to personally or a saint that had similar struggles with them. This practice connects us better with church history. It's a weakness, I think, in evangelicalism that we often miss out on church history and we forget that there's been 2,000 years of men and women just like us pursuing God the best way they know how. And what a rich history for us to learn from. And an easy way to start is picking one person that you relate to and getting to know them. The Augsburg Confession says this, Of the worship of saints, they teach us that the memory of saints may be set before us, that we may follow their faith and good works according to our calling, as the emperor may follow the example of David in making war to drive away the Turk from his country. For both are kings. But the scripture teaches not the invocation of saints or to ask help of saints, since it sets before us the one Christ as the mediator, propitiation, high priest, and intercessor. So this is a really power-packed statement from the Augsburg Confession. But just to touch on a couple of things, it starts out by talking about the memory of the saints and how that helps us to follow in their footsteps. And that's what was point one. And then at the end, it talks about that scripture does not teach the invocation of the saints, which is kind of what we talked about in the earlier section of this video. But right there in the middle, the bolded section, it talks about an example of this very thing. It discusses an emperor who may look to a saint of old, David, and follow David's example of what it might look like to wage just war or to wage war with those who are attacking their own country. And so in, in this very case, this person has a job, the role of ruling their empire, their land, their the government, so to speak. And if that governor or that emperor wants to understand how can I rightly rule in a God-honoring way, well, he can read the life of a saint, David, and learn how did David do it and apply that. But you're probably not an emperor if you're watching this. At least there aren't that many emperors left in this world, so I'd be shocked if you are one. And so that begs the question, how, does this, how might this look in our context as just average run-of-the-mill people? Well, practically, it looks like hanging out with your ancient friend once a week. Of course, we don't want this to take the place of scripture, but occasionally, once a week, once a month, whatever you can handle, read something written by them or a biography of them and learn about their lives. For example, my wife's ancient friend is Charles Spurgeon, and she reads a couple times a month. She'll read before bed his biography and just get to know more about him. And she always comes away encouraged, wanting to share something with me that she learned from his life, something that's really cool. Another example for us, I'm going to pull up as a video from Matt Chandler, who's actually the pastor of the village church where my wife went. He talks a little bit about his own ancient friend, and it kind of weaves it into a sermon that he's talking about. And I think this also can help explain how having an ancient friend can help us. In fact, one of the things that Augustine talks about in his book, City of God, if you wonder why I'm always quoting Augustine, he's my ancient friend. Uh, I think everybody should have one. Uh, so I just picked Augustine. I just read everything he ever wrote, anything written about him. Uh, Peter Brown's biography, probably the most dense, difficult book I think I've read. Uh, and, and yet he's just become my ancient buddy. And so I oftentimes go, oh yeah, Augustine. Then we had that conversation that day over coffee. Uh, and Augustine was talking about this very idea. All right, so he explains there that his ancient friend is Augustine, and he 
will think back to times in his life where he was having coffee with Augustine. And just, it's just, it's kind of funny. I will admit it. it's kind of funny when you think about it. But what's really happening here makes total sense. If you think about the idea that you are the product of the most influential people in your life, some people say the top five people, some people play, say six or 10, but you're, you're genuinely, you're, the way you respond to this world is largely influenced by the, the people in your life. And so if we add a saint in history to that list of influencers that's helping you, it's a good thing, objectively. So that's the second way that we can relate well to the saints as Protestants. And the third way is the one I mentioned might be a little bit more contentious, and that is the idea that the saints in heaven pray for us, that the saints and angels are interceding for us automatically before the presence of God. Now, this belief, I think, can be substantiated in early church history, that the first believers right after the apostles believed in this. We have these three examples from Origen, Clement of Alexandria, and Cyprian of Carthage, all in the first couple centuries of the church, saying basically the same thing, that we believe that when we're praying on earth, the saints in heaven and the angels are also praying at the same time. You get glimpses of that as well in scripture of the angels always talking to God before the throne and the saints crying out to God saying, how long, O Lord, in Revelation? They're talking to him. There is a tendency to lump the two beliefs together, the belief that the saints pray for us in heaven on their own and the belief that we should pray to the saints and ask them for things. These often get lumped together. So Catholics will take quotes that say the saints pray for us in heaven and they will say, see, we should pray to the saints. And Protestants will look at those same quotes and say, see, we can't believe any of this. We got to write it all off. When in fact, these are two distinctly separate things. We can believe that the saints and angels of heaven pray on our behalf and are interceding in the presence of God. And we at the same time can believe that it is improper for us to communicate with them. Those two things can be believed at the same time. And I think these three quotes, along with many, many others, make it clear they believed, at least in the early church, that the saints and angels in heaven rightly prayed for the church on earth. And again, I want to take a quick look at the Augsburg Confession. Actually, in this case, it's not going to be the Augsburg Confession itself, but Philip Melanchthon's apology of the Augsburg Confession. And so we're throwing the word apology back in there. Uh, but a reason, he's giving reasonable defense for the Augsburg Confession, which has been written in the Lutheran tradition. And so Melanchthon says, Besides, we also grant that the angels pray for us. For there is a testimony in Zechariah 1.12, where an angel prays, O Lord of hosts, how long will thou not have mercy on Jerusalem? Although concerning the saints, we concede that just as when alive, they pray for the church universal in general, so in heaven, they pray for the church in general, albeit no testimony concerning the praying of the dead is extant in the scriptures, except the dream taken from the second book of Maccabees. Moreover, even supposing that the saints pray for the church ever so much, yet it does not follow that they are to be invoked. So Melanchthon here is doing a really good job of showing that distinction, that the saints and angels pray for us in heaven, but they are not to be communicated with by us here on earth. And as we're wrapping this up, I'm a huge fan of practicals. Why is this practical to us, this idea of the saints? Why should this be applied to the life of the Protestant? Well, recently I was reading Origen's work on prayer for another one of the videos that's on this channel, and it's actually also quoted in this video earlier on, one of those three quotes. And I was just struck by his really high view of the body of Christ. The idea that in any one given moment when we here on earth are praying to God, that the angels and saints in heaven are praying even more to God. And the idea that when we're here worshiping in church on a Sunday morning, not only are other churches all over the world worshiping the one true and living God, but also the church in heaven is worshiping him as well. So there's this beautiful image of truly all of creation, not only the living, but also the dead who are alive in Christ, worship God saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 
So when I'm sitting in church singing God's praises and I reflect on this truth, it really bolsters my worship and it makes me want to sing all the louder and it, it raises my emotions, it raises my mind. Every part of me is elevated in my worship of God when I think about the fact that it's not only the people in this room, but the angels and the saints and every other person on earth who is a Christian who is worshiping the one God with me in this moment. And that kind of unity is something that's really powerful and I think is really practical when we do worship the one true and living God. If you enjoyed this video, click the like button and subscribe. Also, please share my channel with a friend or someone you think might enjoy the channel and leave a comment if you have anything that you'd like to tell me about the video. Let me know what you think. Until next time, my name is Stephen Cram and this has been My Apologies.